Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn. These conversations focus on the intersection of technology, business, and humanity, exploring how these three areas impact each other. Dr. Wynn interviews guests, including business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts in various fields to share insights and experiences on cybersecurity, risk management, and leadership. The podcast aims to provide a fresh perspective on how technology can be leveraged to create positive change in the world. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. We are pleased to have with us today, Chris Caruso. Chris is the recently retired former VP and Chief Information Officer for PPG, almost 24 and a half years he was with them, where he was the leader of the IT organization, which received national and international recognition, including CIO 100 Award for Information Technology Innovation and Foundry's Computer World Best Places to Work in IT. He is a co-inventor on five patents for the use of digital technologies to assist consumers in the digital paint color selection and purchasing process. Today, he is Distinguished Advisor to Companies, CIOs, and IT Professionals. He has established a mentoring program for students and alumni at the University of Pittsburgh School of Computing and Information. He also advises students in the Information Systems Program at Carnegie Mellon University, and he conducts research on the future of information technology leadership. Chris, it's great to see you again. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for asking me to uh, join your audience and share my story. Can you tell us a little bit about your career, how that went, and how's that transitioning going to your new chapter? Yeah, it is uh, It is a transition. So uh, uh, as you listed a lot of accomplishments there, uh, you know, those uh, all came uh, through a lot of uh, a lot of other people, as you can imagine. I um, I entered university very, really quickly. I entered university um, back in 1977. I went to the University of Pittsburgh and my goal was to major in political science, become a lawyer of all things. Um, and I learned very quickly, probably my first month, that that was not what I really wanted to do. And um, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you ought to check out these computer classes that that they have over the computer science department. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. So I uh, graduated in 1981, really just the fourth class out of out of Pitt in computer science and um, went to work for a, a company in Indianapolis and worked in Connecticut, came back to Pittsburgh and worked for Westinghouse Electric for 14 years before I joined uh, PPG in 1996. And I would tell you throughout that career, um, I always had people tapping me on the shoulder and, and suggesting to me sort of the next assignment to take, right? The, here's, here's an opportunity that you may not be thinking about, uh, but it probably would be good for you to have that experience. you know. And as even up to the very last role that I had before I became 
uh, the VP of IT and CIO at PPG, I had that kind of uh, guidance uh, in my career, which I'm in you know, will be forever grateful for. Um, and so uh, when I retired, you know, one of the things that uh, I decided to do is I needed to pay that back. You know, there were a lot of people that helped me throughout my career. And uh, as a result, uh, for the last couple of years, I've been focused on those things that you just listed, uh, doing a lot of mentoring, doing a lot of advising, um, speaking uh, and, and writing uh, to help as, share as much as I can with others, regardless of where they are in their journey, whether they're thinking about entering the computing field, whether they're in university and working through what kind of area they want to focus on, or they're actually a, a professional in our field and um, need help as they grow through their through their specific career area. That's kind of where I'm focused right now and all my energy. Do you find that there's been a huge difference over the years um, on people looking at their journey? I mean, a lot of times now people are looking at you know, can I even stay in a job for 18 months or 24 months anymore? Just because there seems to be a high turnover, not only with the person not feeling maybe that the job is allowing them to grow into the person they want to be, but also those companies maybe just not having the dedication anymore. So I find I see that there seems to be a lot of unrest in individuals. Are you, do you see that too when you mentor? Yeah, I, you know, working for a company like I did for 24 years is rare, right? And I think we're gonna see less and less of that. Um, I always joke, our oldest son is in the family business. He's a, an IT consultant. And you know I can see his journey is a lot different uh, than what mine was. And you know, it, you're right, it's the, the incentives to stay are different than uh, today than they were uh, when I was uh, growing up in the field. Um, but, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of CIOs who don't have those issues. Um, and that's because, you know, these are some of the, the leaders who, who know how to have a great workplace, right? Who know what it is to, to motivate um, their specific employees. And they understand, and, and this is something I found is, is um, different today, where as a leader, you need to understand what motivates your um, team, not just from a professional standpoint. Now, that's that's given, but also from a personal standpoint, you know, I think there's um, a lot of uh, need to understand, you know, time spent with family and other things other than work. And ha so having that balance, and I think we all know the pandemic really drew attention to that even more, but really understanding what is it that your um, team member wants to get out of this role working on your team and, you know, where do they want to grow their career? Knowing that and understanding that and supporting that, I think is is really essential. You know, when I mentor people, the first question I ask them to think about between the first session and the second one is, "What do you want to be known for?" Um, and it's kind of it's not what do you want to be famous for, but what do you want to be known for? What is it that you're so passionate about that it's obvious to everybody that you want to be a great leader, maybe great technically? a great communicator, or even personally, maybe you want to be um, known for someone who contributes to, to their community or to their church, um, or, or your family is, is, is a priority. Um, and for me, I want to make sure that whether I'm the leader of the organization or the mentor of that individual, that I'm doing whatever I can to help them 
be successful at that which they are so passionate about that they want to be known for. How do you balance that? I know at times when I should say a lot of times when I am on my teams, I try to go ahead and see what energizes them as an individual. And a lot of times what they energize as an individual doesn't match up what their position is. And I've helped people transition out of their position and out of the organization to do their love. I think life is too short not to do what you're passionate about. That might not always go over really well with the companies I work with, but I think that's for their greater good. So how do you usually manage that when you find out that they're not following their passion or not following what actually lights them up, what energizes them? Yeah. And, and I've had actually that conversation with family members. Um, and, and I think it's it, to your point, um, if you struggle getting out of bed in the morning uh, to go to work because you aren't able to pursue your passion, um, that's not only not good for you, it's not good for the people that you work with. It's not good for the firm that pays you um, because your results are probably not going to be um, reflective of what the expectations are. Right. So, you know, I encourage people to think about those things that you're passionate about. And if your employer supports you um, in that, um, great. If they, if you want to grow in your career and you want to get good in one particular area or another, or maybe you want to be in a leadership position and they support you on that journey, that's great. But if they don't, then that's probably the the fork in the road. That's the opportunity I think you need to really ask yourself, is there some place that will in fact do that for me? I think one of the challenges as well too is it's one of the few times I think that we've either had we we kind of by four, you want to count five um different generational viewpoints that are in the workforce simultaneously. And you can have all five of those on your team. How do you how do you suggest that people manage that um effectively? I find that sometimes generation Z, I think that's what they're they're called, a lot of times they want that career progression and every three months they want that new promotion, where a lot of times you might have people who've been longer in their career and they realize that it takes time. It times it takes time to really become an expert in the field. How do you manage those? I suggest people try to manage that more effectively in the team because I know that's a big struggle right now. Yeah, it, it, I'm sure it is. And I think it really starts, there's two sides of it. First is it goes back to this idea that um, you have to treat everybody in your team as an individual, that you can't apply the same rules across the entire group and expect that everybody wants the same thing in terms of their career or their work balance life. Um, and so it starts with really understanding each individual. Um, and I know, you know, for me, it's, you know, my I start by asking people more about their personal uh, perspectives. But, you know, the reality is for, especially for um, workers that may have expectations that may not actually be good for themselves, that they want to advance at a rate that is, uh, far faster than you know as a, as a leader um, is good for them, that you need to have that honest, frank conversation that you really need to spend this much time or develop these skills and mastery of these particular skills uh, before it really makes sense for you to move on um, and, and make sure that they understand that. Because you know, too often we um, allow people to move up uh, before they're ready um, and then they eventually top out because they weren't fully developed or fully baked, as I like to say, um, in their development of their skills. And that's where it's not in their best interest to move at a rate that's that's not 
um, good for them. Yeah, I think part of the thing coming from a governance risk compliance standpoint is, especially for me being like a CISO in most cases or data protection officer or, or something along those lines, maybe the trust officer, there's a lot of regulations give you titles that you need a person to be versus the attributes that you need to have in that um, position. You find that a little less in the CIO, but one of the things I see too right now, it seems like the CIO you know, CTOs are converting to CIO. Is a project manager converting to a CIO? Is a CISO converting to a CIO? As much angst we have with having CISO light, it seems like at times the CIO isn't well-defined anymore either, maybe with the bigger companies, but not necessarily the medium and the smaller companies. Do you see that as well? Yeah, so it, I think what I certainly seen in the, in the past decade is that the role of the CIO has changed, I think, significantly from one that was more inwardly focused and technology focused, inwardly meaning inwardly focused on the IT organization um, and being much more business focused. The assumption is that you understand everything there is that, to understand about um, the technology organization and what you, where you can provide the most value uh, is in fact um, being a business person first who happens to know technology. Um, and I think that's been a significant change in, in the CIOs that I talk to who are, who are really successful with what they do. They are business first leaders. Um, they're also people first leaders and technology seems to come somewhere later on um, on that list of priorities. Um, so I think those are the skills that I think make um, a better uh, CIO in the long run. What do you think the top, I know you just mentioned right there about having business background, but what are what aspects of a business background do you think is most beneficial for the people who are younger CIOs, as in younger in their career as CIO, or people who are aspiring to be a CIO? What, what things should they be trying to learn, whether they can learn directly in their company or get a mentor or something like that to actually learn those skills that can help them be a better CIO in the future? What would you suggest that they do? Yeah, so I I think, you know, from a business acumen standpoint, you certainly need to understand um, the financial aspect of, you know, what it is that you do and how you make money. Uh, if you're in a, um, you know, an organ a money-making organization, not a nonprofit, but it, but you you really need to know what sort of makes the, um, the company run so that you can figure out ways in which the technology organization can help make that happen. Uh, you know, one of the things that um, we like to do, and, um, and I, I certainly encourage people, is to get up out of their um, cubicle, their home, whatever it is, and go to where um, others in the in your respective organization work. So if you, if you travel with a salesperson, you go to a warehouse, you go to a plant, you understand how that works. If you are in the retail industry, you spend time um, working at the store. It doesn't mean that um, you have to stay within a particular segment like the paint industry um, your entire career, like I came out of, um, but it just means you need to learn the business um, and you need to take every opportunity you can to get out of your organization outside of uh, your cubicle or your office and learn what it is the businesses that you are supporting. 
Yeah, no. Um, one of the things I've done as a CISO and, and, and great CIOs that I've had out there, we've been one to roll up our sleeves. I've had times where it's been call center operations that I went for three days in the call center operations. This is what's happening with the calls taken in. This is a script. This is the technology that's working. Here's the technology that's not working. And going through that process step by step, not from a judgmental standpoint, but literally like almost like you're an intern or something like that, or a new person on the day in the job by doing that. I think it helps if you do that with a variety of positions. Did you do that as well when you first start out your career? I, I find that that's missing a lot of times. A lot of times companies want you to start and they want you to solve all the problems like today. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know the business yet. Yeah. And yeah. And I, um, absolutely um, did do that in my career. I mean, my first few roles, I actually worked at a plant. Um, so I got to see close up how we made product and what it took to do that. Um, when I was in a, in a role that had a big sales focus, I spent a lot of time not only traveling um, with salespeople, so going out for the day, seeing how they call on customers, meeting the customers. You know, we sold a lot of uh, our coatings and paints through distribution. So, you know, not directly to a body shop, but to a distributor, then went sold it to a body shop. So I would go to the distributor, hear their pain and angst that they go through both in terms of running their business, but also maybe even dealing with, with my company, right? And then I would go to the, the body shop to understand what their challenges were, what their uh, pains were in trying to get their job done and maybe even using our products. And that's what helped you know me to better understand how we could bring technology to bear. Um, you know, and I, I I oftentimes talk about innovation and some of the skills that you need to do that. And and this idea of of what it, what's called observing is absolutely essential to do that. So whether you're doing that for a, an end customer or somebody in a, in a warehouse within your company, uh, you need to you need to go see that and experience it and understand their pain. You had a long career. Obviously, you're on another portion of your career now. But how were you able to keep your health and your wellness and your resiliency up? Because that's that's always a challenge, right? People don't want to burn out. And you had career that's been able to weather that, which not everybody can do that. So how did you do that so successfully? Well, I, I don't know how successful because my number one priority, Rebecca, when I retired was uh, my health. Uh, my family and uh, my faith and focusing on those three um, before anything else, because, you know, these jobs do take a, a toll on you and you do um, need to, to be able to reflect and have some other perspective. I'm very fortunate. I have a, um, a wonderful wife who is, you know, still mentors me today, um, as well as, you know, throughout our, our 35 years of marriage. Um, but I also had a really good um, network of uh, friends at work, as Gallup likes to call it. Um, if you ever take the, the Gallup uh, engagement survey, they ask, they ask the question, I have a, um, do you have a, a friend at work? And I had quite a few of those that, you know, when times got really hard, um, I, I needed to sort of vent or check to see whether or not I, you know, was looking at it the right way. And I had somebody who could tell me, um, if I was wrong, that was very helpful. Um, I also had a great network of um, other CIOs that I could call upon. And that, you know, so from a mental health uh, standpoint, that's, I, you know, I believe, is absolutely essential um, because these jobs 
uh, are always very, very challenging, uh, both mentally and physically. Um, uh, I, you know, I think uh, you've got to have the discipline from a physical standpoint, uh, health standpoint, you to to actually keep up after it. And I have people in my life who encourage me to do that. Do you have outside interests as well when you're a CIO that you're able to do? I know that was a 24-7, but one of the things that yeah. I do is I, I play trombone and I continue to try and play trombone as one of my my outlets. Um, did you have any outlets along those lines that you try to, you know, keep your life as balanced as possible? Yeah, we we like being busy in, in our family. I mean, I, I have a my personal hobby is uh, bread baking. And so I've been baking bread for 40 years now. Um, and so, but you can't do that all day long, every day, especially in retirement. Um, but the other big part of our lives that um, uh, my wife and I um, participated in is we, we actually just concluded 14 years of being foster parents for newborn babies. So while I was in my the midst of my career, um, we were taking in uh, newborn babies, 15 babies to be exact over those 14 years. Um, and uh, I like to say next to raising our own sons, it was probably the most important thing that we did uh, together in our married life together. That is amazing. Um, I don't foster kids. I do have a dog that I adopted, um, but I do go ahead in the, the Christian um, foster care. I do go ahead and support them regularly. Do you have any great stories that stick out to you? Do you ever, a lot of times, you know, you do as individuals, we give, but we don't always hear back how impactful that is. You know, have you been fortunate to, to go ahead and see a positive ripple effect from, from all the foster care that you've done? Yeah, I well, you know, first of all, um, I think when you when you have these babies um, in your home, it helps keep everything else in perspective, right? Work, life, everything else, uh, and you and you really focus on uh, these individual um, children. You know, one of the things that um, I would tell you, people would often ask us, you know, why do you do this? What's your purpose, right, for being um, foster parents? And, and I tell them, first of all, it was a calling for my wife for a long time. I actually, um, I was the one who was hesitant to get started because I knew uh, some of the challenges that we would face with it. Um, but we also um, do it for the mothers who are, I believe, incredibly brave to make the decision to have these babies and then even more courageous uh, to make that difficult decision to put them up for adoption. And then uh, last but not least, we're, we are there for those babies. We want to make sure there's absolutely no gap in their lives where there wasn't somebody there uh, who uh, loved them. And but, you know, you know, as much as you have that purpose, it's easy to forget. Right. And the number one question we get asked is, isn't it hard when you have to hand the baby back over, whether to the uh, the birth parents? or to the adoptive family. And I tell people it is absolutely excruciatingly difficult. It's really, really super hard. Um, but uh, the other thing that I would tell you that would uh, make it hard to always remember your purpose uh, of why you wanted to be a foster parent uh, is usually after several nights without sleep, right? Um, and you have a crying baby who just won't go back to sleep. And you're sitting there three o'clock in the morning wondering, what was I thinking about when we decided to do this, right? 
Um, but I, I'll tell you a story of one of these 15 um, children. She came to us without a name. We named her Claire Marie. And um, when she was adopted, her parents named her Maddie. Maddie is now 12 years old, turned 12 in August. And uh, when she first started school, uh, her parents went to her open house and said, you know, we have to tell you this story. When we went to her open house, her teacher pulled us aside and said, you know, I asked all the students to paint a picture of their family. And Maddie painted this picture and I, 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 I knew she was an only child, but there are six adults in this painting. And I asked her to tell me who those adults were. And she said, oh, that's easy. That's uh, the first two are my parents. The next two are my birth parents. And the last two are Chris and Janice. Um, we have that picture and that will always and forever be my reminder of why we spent 14 years uh, with these children in our home. And I think that's something you know, we all need to do in, in our lives, whether it's personally or professionally, is remember why we chose to do what we did. You know, if, we, if we're leaders, if we're CIOs or CXOs, why did we want to be that? You know, what is it that uh, took us on that journey? And don't forget that, because I think that's absolutely essential to help keep us focused. No, that's a great story. And it's great that she has such a great perspective that it's not just her current mom or dad, but these other people who are really part of her family and care about her. I, I love that. You don't always um, see that people have that perspective. And it's great that that you're having that, that you've had that positive ripple effect. I think that's the one thing for me is I like to try and be a positive ripple effect in the world at all points in time and know that that can be a generational ripple effect. So definitely, you know, congratulations and kudos to you and your wife. And I know you guys have done that from a pure heart. It's amazing that you did that being a CIO as well too. Um, but that that's, that's awesome. As people go forward in, into this new year and the year going forward, what words of wisdom and encouragement can you have for them about as they try to strategize their life? And as they think now, after they've listened to us for the last, you know, 20 some odd minutes about being a positive ripple effect, not only for themselves, but for their family and those who touch, what would you encourage them to do? Or, or how do you encourage them maybe to look at things a little differently? Yeah, I, I think I'll go back to my um, earlier point around um, knowing what it is that you're passionate about and and knowing that what your purpose really is. And I think, you know, as, as people are um, taking some time off, I think around this time of year and, and gives you an opportunity to really reflect on what's really important. Um, and as you start the new year, I certainly would encourage people to, to, to really think about that and how they wanna have an impact in 2024, whether it's in their personal life or in their in their career, and how they can um, actually have that kind of ripple effect that you just described, you know, I, I'll just add one thing in particular because you know when you retire, uh, people say things that um, maybe you you didn't know got through to them, right? Um, but I I you know because I retired during COVID. Um, uh, they had to produce a video 
of people saying goodbye to me, uh, which was lovely because I get to, you know, have that forever. But it's it was for me incredibly rewarding to hear people say things that, you know, helped me understand that I did have an impact um, while I did that. And I think, you know, you don't always know that until it's later on, uh, maybe after the fact. But I think uh, I would just encourage people to know that um, if you follow your passion and you do what you what we what we refer to in our house doing the next right thing, um, you will have an impact. You will have whether it's with the people that you work with or the people in your community, uh, you will have an impact that somewhere down the line is going to impact other people and they'll pay it forward as well. Well, Chris, thank you so much. For, for being on the show. We appreciate your perspectives, your insights, and your encouragement. Um, encourage everybody to go ahead and make sure you read through the description. That's where you'll have Chris's contact information. Please remember to like, subscribe, and, and share the show. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the Soulful um, Insights newsletter as well. And please give us your comments and your feedback. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or reach out to me through the show. Again, Chris, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.